Welcome back to the ICD-10 Roundtable on Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with one of my favorite guests, especially given that we're less than 50 days from the implementation of ICD-10 on October 1st. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by my friend, Lee Williams, Administrator of Business Systems at UVA Health Systems. Lee, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. Oh, it's always great to have you in You've changed seats since we last talked. Tell a little bit about your new position at UVA. Yes, thank you. I recently moved to beautiful Charlottesville, Virginia, and joined the University of Virginia Health System. My role here is, I think, a little bit cathartic. I've I've moved from being within the mid-cycle of the revenue cycle at the University of Mississippi to join the information technology team here. So reporting now through the CIO and focused on meeting or aligning the business needs of the organization with technology solutions. So I've spent a lot of time in the last few years in the ICD-10 work and then also in documentation improvement and other roles that I had at Mississippi, really had an ex- a chance to experience how leveraging technology could move organizations forward and help with patient outcomes and found that I had a real passion for that. So this position allows me to work within the realm of supporting all of the business needs and that includes everything from patient progression to revenue cycle billing and also through coding and ICD-10 needs and then through supply chain human resources, so a bit of an expanded position here in scope to make sure that we are providing good technology solutions to our partners so that they can enable the physicians to provide exceptional care to our patients. So it's a fun opportunity for me, and I'm really enjoying it here in in Virginia. Congratulations. It's always exciting to see movers and shakers advance through their career. Thank you. you. Lee, I was doing some research on ICD-10 for another project I'm working on, And trying to find out when I started working on ICD-10, it turned out that it was 2010. When did you start working on ICD-10? So I love that. Yes, we began really, Dr. Showalter and I, he's the Chief Health Information Officer at the University of Mississippi and is my partner in crime in a lot of what we'll be talking about through ICD-10. We formalized our initiatives around ICD-10 in the fall of 2013, but there were discussions preceding that from likely the end of 2012 when we started really realizing what this was going to mean and then began having those discussions around how do you approach dealing with a transformation in the ICD code set and what does this mean in terms of technology and documentation, what does it mean for physicians, etc. So by spring of 2013, we were heavily involved in those and by 20, late 2013, rolling out our program's official start dates on the CDE program, the Clinical Documentation Excellence Program at Mississippi in the fall of 2013. So it's been a while now and we experienced all those delays and are looking forward to maybe making some progress, real tangible progress and actually getting to see how it turns out with a go-live date. Absolutely. I think we're both on board with let's go live on October 1st and work out the challenges and put this behind us so we can focus on all the other projects that are on your plate at UVA and everyone else's plate all throughout the country. Yes. So as you've been through this for several years now, tell me a few ICD-10 resources that you found that have been really helpful to you. I'm going to answer that with some of my lessons learned from the work that we did throughout the state of Mississippi. And there we had many physician practices or nurse practitioner practices, solo practices, who would ask that question. And 
I've always begun by directing them to the CMS sites that are out there. I think especially in the past year since last year's delay, they've really stepped up on the CMS. So roadto10.org, that's literally just road to and then the number 10.org. They have a whole bunch of information depending on the size of your organization. It is primarily customized for those smaller physician practices, but some great information and also links to the real deal. So there's a lot of information out. If you just search the internet for ICD-10, you're going to get a ton of different stuff. I like going to that core CMS information because it does point you to really good solid information about the resources for ICD-10. The other thing to look at is the GEMS mapping tool, especially as we're working now on making financial reports, looking towards the future and maybe trying to fit some ICD-10 numbers to our data. And then once we get through the transition and you need to retroactively apply and look at ICD-9 information, that GEMS mapping tool out on the Medicare website is really, I think, very helpful. AHIMA, which is the American Health Information Management Association, has some very nice information, especially training programs that are, I've done those myself, and they're very good. They have still classes going on and recommendations for what to do for coders in hospitals and other facility-based, and then look to AAPC, which is the American Academy of Professional Coders for the physician coding bent. They have a lot of good information there, and some nice tools on the AAPC website, which is just aapc.com, that talk about how it's going to impact a physician practice, even some things like denials management and pre-authorizations and things that are the full picture of the revenue cycle. Beyond that, I think there are some nice information and background on the World Health Organization site and just that general CMS. If you go to CMS and you, you search within that framework for ICD-10, a ton of information. And I always recommend signing up for the Medicare Learning Network because they have classes that are coming out from CMS and information about really what's going on with delays and rule sets, et cetera, that are important to get your information. And then Twitter is fun. Hashtag ICD-10. That's what I like to watch. <laughs> Although there seems to be a company out there tweeting every single ICD-10 code, kind of messing oh. up the stream a little. Yeah, we might need them to back off. I don't think we need. <laughs> that's a lot of. That's a big challenge. Uh, 140 some odd thousand tweets between now and then. Okay. Yeah, they just started like two weeks ago. It's been oh, very, Lord. <laughs> very disruptive to my uh, Someone needs Twitter to watching. Tell them to go. Someone needs to go back and tell them to have started that in 2010. And exactly, exactly. You get another hashtag. Lee, you and I have talked several times, and one of the things we've talked about is the enemy of the way to do the project is to consider ICD-10 just a technical project because there's so many more things to be concerned with, for example, setting up for pay-for-value. What do you have to say about that? I've talked to several places that really they're interested in what did you do for claims testing or what did you do for your EHR and I always think those are the easy things that is very mechanical get that stuff out of the way what I think we need to be concerned with there if you're thinking it's just a technical change that think about how ICD codes are used in healthcare systems today they are throughout the electronic health record. They are tied to the words that clinicians are writing, and then they are what your organization is presenting to your payers, your insurance carriers, so CMS and others, 
that represent the services that you are providing. So if a hospital is thinking about this thoroughly, you'd realize that the only way that you get to tell Medicare, Medicaid, how you did with their patients, what you did, and then also your outcomes, which is the data that they use for both a fee-for-service or a fee-for-performance methodology for reimbursement, it's all the ICD codes. That's what you send them. That's the only way that you get to paint a picture of the acuity of your patients. It's the only way that you get to tell the story of what your hospital does every single day. And for physician practices, it is the story of why you're treating your patients. It's the reasons that they're in your clinics. These are important details to get right because as we look towards if you want to talk about teaching other doctors, you've got to have the words right, so like how they're charting and what they're writing down so that coders can then translate that to CNS and tell that story. If you're really only focusing on the technology and, and the transfer of the numbers and characters and letters, then you're missing the point that you need to address what they're saying about your story. And if you don't have good language in your records, good clinical documentation that accurately and completely describes what you're doing for your patients and why you're doing it, then that's great that they sent off some numbers, but you're not getting your story across to CMS. That administrative data is the only way you get to tell your story. So focus on working on the language and helping your clinicians understand what they need to put in there. It's not about just sending the message. It is what is your message? What is it that you want to tell them? The testing is something that I've been concerned with for a while. In fact, I think it was last January. So January 2014, I wrote a post of, something to the effect of why aren't we talking about ICD-10 testing? And even today, I don't see a lot of conversation out on that ICD-10 stream on Twitter on testing. What can you say about doing the right amount of testing and the different types of testing that an organization should do? And should an organization really ever stop before October 1st? Good question. So I've seen this done a couple of different ways now. And what I think and what I did with Mississippi and our, our own experience was to begin testing early. And it doesn't have to be large quantities for each testing round. So in some instances, we only sent 10 claims and got 10 responses. Others were on the volume of maybe 100 claims or 150 claims. But it doesn't have to be a tremendous amount. We focused more on making sure that we had good representative core codes in there that we thought were going to be important. You have to work with the beneficiaries that that particular payer has in their system. So they'll tell you who they want to test with. That's almost exclusively how we did it. But even 10 is an okay amount to just say, yep, we were able to make the connection. If there were any issues, and really the issues were very infrequent for us, one big one was somebody contacted us and they said, we cannot accept your claims. There are letters in your file. And we said, yes, there are ICD-10 codes in our file. This is what we're testing. And they said, yes, but you have alphabetical characters in your ICD codes. And so even that, so I don't know how many claims we sent, but even just one would have helped us realize that, wow, they don't have their system set up to take alphabetical characters. That's a major fail. So it doesn't matter if you send 100 or 10, but the actual exchange with that group or that payer is important. And we have not, as a philosophy, stopped testing our Way of doing it was test as often and with as many people as we can. So continuing to 
do that now in June and July and August and finding that our team is really feeling like this is routine at this point. So I don't know that the value is really there for our technical team anymore. But it is bringing value to those payers, and so and since it's simple and easy, we'll just go ahead and do it and check another box. One thing that I've recommended to other leaders of ICD-10 initiatives is to fill in the blanks on the sentence that says, we have tested with X percentage of our payers that represent X percentage of our revenue for the organization. Or you could do counts. You could say, we have tested with Y number of payers that represents X percentage of the revenue for our organization. So even if you just say, who pays our bills? And figure out which of those, I mean, is it two payers that pay 80% of the most? Where does your money come from? Make sure you're getting those. And for the organizations that I've seen, that number is usually less than 10 payers total. That's where you should focus. So you don't have to get them all right. But make sure you're getting the ones that you can't keep the lights on. If you don't get a check from that place and it's going to hurt you, make sure you're testing with them beforehand. Exactly. I've seen in some organizations that one thing that I might call testing could probably be called documentation improvement, where the organizations, once they started testing and, for lack of a better term, liking the results they were getting, from testing by sending claims to payers and seeing what was coming back, they decided to test more and more and to go back and do things like work with the physicians to say different words and to put different words in their documentation so the whole cycle worked better. So I found, and maybe this is a best practice, that the people that really were aggressive about testing often turned their testing into sort of a documentation improvement program, even though that wasn't the intention of how they were going to get started with documentation improvement. What has your experience been there? I think if that is a mechanism to leverage interest and engagement around documentation improvement, that's a great tool. So showing me, you know, so, or saying something like, these ICD-10 codes are very different from what it was in 9, and we want to make sure, so maybe so I'm thinking of examples like obstetrics, where you now put the weeks of gestation in a seventh character, or fracture codes that have to be complete with a different meaning for each character and using all of available characters. If you can take that lesson learned from the testing scenario and the feedback that you're getting from an actual payer and use that to enable and foster some of those conversations with the clinicians or even with clinical operations managers or whomever it is that you see as a barrier to being able to do that documentation improvement, I think we should be using all of those tricks right now to say, we've this is real, here is some real feedback, this is an actual example, and this is where we're seeing a pain point. That gives people something to focus on and then go that next step of, well, and I I think it should have been your first step, but if doing that documentation improvement, what are the words that we're getting in the charts? And those, you know, sometimes I find those tangible examples of a, a very clear-cut, real, specific example is enough to start getting people's brains around what is changing, because everybody talks about change, but I love the specificity that you're getting out of a claims run to, to get that direct feedback on a particular one and then be able to use that to say, this is what we mean. And if that's what it takes to get folks engaged, absolutely, I would do that. That's a nice, I, I like that sort of elegant, using the work that you put in one place to help with the work in another place. 
With that, Intrepid Healthcare will return with our guest, Lee Williams, after this quick break. We'll be right back. CTG Health Solutions is proud to have been your trusted advisor for healthcare IT consulting services for over 25 years. In that time, CTG Health Solutions has provided healthcare strategic, technical, and operational consulting support to more than 600 healthcare provider and payer organizations. CTG Health Solutions satisfied clients are supported by some of the most talented healthcare consultants who have chosen CTG Health Solutions as their work home in large part due to the company's outstanding culture. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. CTG Health Solutions was named a Modern Healthcare Best Places to Work company again last year. Find out more about CTG Health Solutions and their world-class culture by liking them on Facebook or stopping by their website at www.ctghs.com. And we're back with Lee Williams, Administrator of Business Systems at UVA Health System. As we speak right now, Lee, there's 48 days till October 1st, which seems surreal to me because the last mm-hmm. five years there's been perpetually over 365 days. Right, right. Every time we get close, we just tack on that extra year. Well, what should providers be doing now to get prepared since this is really going to happen? Yeah, so it's very close, and what I would say is use some data-driven strategies to identify priorities. Don't panic about learning an entire code set. Um, If the question really is about focus in the final days, then figure out from your own data, and that's easy. you got all your claims data, something as simple as who are our top payers and what percentage of our revenue do they represent? What do we do with them that's special? What could we not survive if it failed? Those are the critical things you're going to want to look at. And for getting with specific physician groups, what we've done is maybe by specialty, running something like pull your claims data for the past six months and just by frequency sort which ICD codes they were submitting. So if you're a physician practice, last whatever period makes you comfortable, one month, three months, six months, 12 months, sort ICD codes by frequency of use, and then look at doing some education. And it doesn't have to be heavy-duty chart reviews, but have somebody who knows. They they always, they bill this one the vast majority of the time. What's different about that one? And then maybe bite off a small chunk of these are your top six codes, 12 codes, three codes, whatever is a good amount for that particular person and say these are the specific changes that are happening with that. I think much more precision and focus in this effort in these final days rather than trying to, for example, tell orthopedic doctors that there's a huge change in ICD-10 in fracture coding and now you need to include all of this detail. Well, you know, honestly, they know all of that clinical detail. They've spent years and years and years learning that stuff. What they need help with is how is my code changing and what exactly do you need out of me? And breaking it down to the wrist surgeon needs some different instruction than the knee surgeon. So that individualized attention to, even if you group them by, okay, these are the women that do the total hips and knees, let's give them just the stuff that's relevant to them. I think using that data-driven strategy to identify priorities by 
whatever your cohorts are. Is it a single doctor? Is it a division? Is it a department? Is it a practice? Is it a subgroup of your practice? What is important to them? And then focusing in on that. It's not useful. Even if you had a year, I wouldn't recommend learning the entire section of a book or something. It's all about what they do each day. Figure out what you think you can accomplish in the immediate future and make sure you're picking the right stuff to teach them on. Great. And then after October 1st, at last Hymns, Hymns 14, you and Dr. Showalter prepared a great presentation on what to do after October 1st. What should providers be planning for the 6 to 12 months after October 1st? Great question, and we're happy to share that presentation if that's helpful for anyone to get more detail, but I'll put it in a nutshell. Basically, what we did was we divided the year into eras or periods that feel a little bit different from each other, and the first one is to realize that on October 1st, you're really in a blackout period, that for the month of October, you're not going to have much feedback from the payers until you start getting some of the October 1 discharges and the October 1 service dates submitted and back. And so maybe you're watching claims runs. That might be important to watch in the first period. And then you'll know something about denials towards the end of October or maybe even into November. Remember, those claims have to be adjudicated before there's any information. And I know under the new we're going forward October 1, we're not going to deny based on October on ICD-10 codes. I think we all need to be very cautious about how is that interpreted by each payer. And that was just CMS saying that. That wasn't any of the other ones. So what are they actually doing with your claims? Are you seeing any trending or differences in your DRGs being reimbursed, in your CPT codes being reimbursed? Are they doing different medical necessity questions? Are they being very slow with getting things back to you, watching sort of how the system works? And then in that next period from, say, 30 or 60 days to 120 days, really learning about how the system is changing, doing good data analysis around denials and seeing if you're having shifts in patterns of what they're looking at, where are things slow to pay, are any particular payers struggling with certain things and how can we address those to get back to norm. And then beyond that learning phase, now you've got a new reality. So you've got a new norm and at 120 plus days going out, what do we need to do to realign our business strategies around this fund? fundamentally different code set and getting prepared for, okay, if they're going to start doing denials a year out, what has CMS been talking about in the intervening months that we can learn lessons from and know where they're seeing issues and make sure that we're getting good feedback to our physicians about how much more or different types of documentation we may need. So just to frame that up again is a blackout period where you're just trying to keep the lights on and things chugging in the right direction and making sure that the claims runs are being accepted and you're getting responses. Then you go into a phase of learning and learning for both the physicians and the coders and the people putting things out and your back-end billing people who are starting to learn about how the system is dealing with the ICD codes differently and then moving into your new norms, adjusting your KPIs, your coding turnaround times maybe need to have a new normal. Your physician CDI queries may need a new normal. Adjusting to live within the new reality and getting back to your whatever you're going to now establish as your benchmarks. Wow, outstanding. I'm always astounded by your thought leadership. I know you're speaking a few places the rest of this year and sharing that. Lee, can you tell us a few of the places you're speaking? 
Sure, yeah, I, I enjoy getting out there and talking, especially like talking with people about what they're doing for ICD-10 because we are all making this up, right? So it's wonderful to, to hear what other folks are doing and to share some of our thoughts. So some good opportunities specifically on ICD-10. Dr. Showalter and I will be at the Financial Leadership Advisory Council at the EPIC UGM, so the user group meeting, which is, I believe, early September in, in Wisconsin, and we'll be talking about the Clinical Documentation Excellence Program that we introduced in fall of 2013 at the University of Mississippi as a response not only to ICD-10, but also meaningful use, value-based purchasing, the entire shift to pay for performance and how to do clinical documentation improvement in a healthcare system that is both a physician practice and a hospital in a way that encompasses and stays robust over time. So that program is, is ongoing, will not end with ICD-10. It goes forward into the future with whatever documentation improvement we need to be able to do. So that one's Epic UGM. And then the next one that I'm excited about is in December in Atlanta. We're going to be at the Revenue Cycle Solutions Summit, which is a thing that HIMSS is putting on these days, and we found it really valuable. So that's December 7 and 8 in Atlanta um, with the Revenue Cycle Solutions Summit, which is that's literally their URL if you're interested, it's revenuecyclesolutionsummit.com. Um, but a good, good bringing together of revenue cycle leaders to talk about, among other things, patient financial experience shift to consumerism, and then also meeting the challenges of pay for performance. And included there will be ICD-10 talks, and that we'll be talking again about weathering that and some physician engagement strategies as well. I want to thank you personally, and I know that our listeners are very grateful for all you've done to educate us on ICD-10. We look forward to keeping up with you as we put this huge milestone behind us. But we're running out of time. Before we let you go, where can people go to contact you either to continue the dialogue on ICD-10 or to learn more about UVA Health System? I'm at UVA Health System, and the email address is ltwilliams at virginia.edu. And then I also enjoy the Twitter stream. I think it's going to be fun in the next few months as we go through a, a real go-live celebration there, but then also all of us sating our curiosity about how this is going to work. So I tweet at, at LeeTW, that's at L-E-I-G-H-T-W, and using that ICD-10 hashtag, although maybe we need to come up with some different ones as well if we're, if we're now learning the entire code set. But those two places are good to get in touch with me. And then, of course, at any of the conferences, I'd love to dialogue with folks while we're on site there. So if somebody wants to come up and share experiences, that's part of what I do to get out there is, is to do that. So I look forward to meeting people and hearing everybody's stories about how we actually make it through this. Lee, it's been so great to have you. Thanks for stopping by and joining us today. Thank you, Joy. I enjoyed it. Thank you. All right, that wraps our broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Lee Williams, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.